Bibles, please, to the book of Matthew chapter 2, Matthew chapter 2. Let me mention again, of course, next Sunday is Christmas Day, but that's not all it is. Next Sunday is the Lord's Day. And churches on the Lord's Day should be honoring the Lord. Kind of hypocritical, isn't it, to say you're honoring the Lord by not meeting. Well, if the church is so sorry, that's the only way they can honor the Lord is not to meet. doesn't say much for their meeting, does it? But God's people ought to be in God's house next week. And I want to, if you're traveling, you're going to have to call ahead. You can't count on denominational churches of any name to have services on Christmas Day. That just shows how far we have fallen. Sunday is the Lord's Day. We will have Sunday school, 9.30, just like always, 10.45 is church. We'll have a Sunday evening service as well. Our Spanish will be meeting in the afternoon. Everything goes on regular on the Lord's Day next Sunday, okay? Now, I want to talk to you today about the man who hated Christmas. Matthew chapter 2, notice beginning in verse 1. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. When he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod. When he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when ye have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed. And lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother. Stop there for a moment. Notice again. And when they were come into the what? Not the manger. He's not in the manger at this time. By this time, we don't know how many days have passed, maybe up to two years, uh, maybe a couple of weeks, maybe a month or two. We don't know how long. God doesn't tell us how long. And your guess is as good as the next person's guess as to how long. But it's obvious they're not in the manger. They now are at their own house, okay? Now that we've got that, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and flee into Egypt. And be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. 
When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt and was there until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men and exceeding wroth and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and in all the coast thereof, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying, In Ramah was there a voice heard, lamentation and weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and would not be comforted because they were not. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. I do pray for the filling of the Holy Spirit of God and clarity of mind and thought and of word this morning that as I preach, your word will go forth in power, deal with hearts today. Help us to have an understanding about the Christ, about the Lord Jesus Christ and his coming for us. Have your will and way in every life and we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the man who hated Christmas, who are we talking about? We're not talking about Ebenezer Scrooge. He wasn't even a real man. No doubt there have been a lot of people like Scrooge with his bah humbug and all that. We're not talking about the Grinch, of course, who tried to steal Christmas. He's not real either. I hate to break it to you. By the way, neither is Santa Claus. Oh, I should have given you a warning to close the ears of your child if you fed him with that lie, but I trust you have not. Uh, but we're going to be talking about a real person, and this real person is Herod, the king of the Jews, the king of Judea, Herod the Great. He's also known by that name. I don't know whose eyes he was great in front of. I'll tell you what, not the Lord's, that's for sure. And he plays an important part here in this account, dealing with the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, even though by the time we get to chapter 2, Jesus, of course, has already been born. The shepherds have already been there. And a lot of the Christmas plays that are done, uh, they don't get it right. They mix a lot of stuff up. Uh, For instance, the shepherds came uh, as they were told by the angels where to go to see the young child where he was. The wise men didn't show up while the shepherds were there. The shepherds saw him and they left. The wise men came. And you notice the Bible doesn't tell us how many of these wise men there were. It just tells us the type of gifts that they brought. And they brought three types of gifts. So the hymn is wrong. Uh, We three men of Orient are. More than likely, this was quite a procession. These were rich people. And I doubt that they would have traveled just the three of them on their own and face all the different dangers that they may have had to face. But the Bible didn't tell us about those things. And so you say one person's speculation is as good as another. Well, not when they've got the wise men coming to the manger to see Jesus. He wasn't at the manger. He came to a house, and we're trying to get that plane. Now, right away, I know there's somebody who's thinking, but preacher, we don't even know that it was December 25th. You're right. We don't know. Let me tell you what we know. We know he was born. So it doesn't make any difference what day we celebrate his birth. We definitely know the truth that he was born. He wasn't born just to be a babe in a manger. He was born to be a savior hanging on a cross, dying for our sins, and then to be raised from the dead three days later. I don't have to know the day 
to celebrate his birth. Now, December 25th has been one. You say, but wait a second, preacher. It couldn't be December 25th. Don't you know that the shepherds were abiding in the field, so it had to be in the summertime. Now, unfortunately, you've probably read one of those little tracks that somebody gave, and they made that statement without really thinking it through. They think, ah, they've, they've, they've got it down. Uh, whereas, yes, we don't know it was the 25th. Some blame the date, by the way, on the Roman Catholic Church. And, uh, but really, it's referred to as the date of his birth as early as Hippolytus, and who lived from 165 to 235 A.D., so that's at least 100 years before the Roman Catholic Church even started. Now, Chrysostom mentioned it. Okay, Catholic Church was going by that time. Uh, he lived from 345 to 407. But as far as celebrating his birth, we see a celebration of his birth. Turn over for a moment to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, when the, when the, the shepherds were in the field and the angels come, came to let them know about the birth of this Savior. I just want you to notice a few verses here, beginning in verse 8. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came unto them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were so afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day... In the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child, and all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. And Mary kept all these things, pondered them in her heart, and the shepherds returned, now notice this, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. It was a joyous time. They were celebrating what they had just seen. Now, the Scripture doesn't tell us the exact date of this thing, but the Scripture tells us that when they saw this Christ child, they rejoiced and they sang. They glorified him, no doubt like the angels. The angels were glorifying. The shepherds are glorifying him. Hey, on Christmas this year, why not glorify him? So I'm not going to do it on the 25th. All right, then do it on the 26th. Do it on the 27th. Buddy, pick out a day to glorify him for coming to this earth. That's not going to be wrong, by the way, to do that. Now, let's talk about Christmas here for just a little bit. I mentioned that some people object to it because the sheep normally are in closures from November till March. I don't know where they read that, but that's hardly a conclusive thought for a number of reasons. I'm going to give you four, give you an opportunity to learn something before we really get into the preaching of the message. Number one, it could have been a mild winter. And if it was a mild winter, 
They'd still be out in the field. Not only that, it is not certain that the sheep were brought under cover during winter months. Not only that, they were brought in from the wilderness during the winter, but these shepherds were around Bethlehem. Now, I don't know how well you know the geography of Bethlehem and Jerusalem, but Bethlehem was only six miles away from Jerusalem. Jerusalem is where the, temp- uh, the temple was at. And believe me, sacrifices were still made. There had to be sheep available for sacrifices. So there is no guarantee. These shepherds were in the field in Bethlehem and uh, around Bethlehem rather than in the wilderness. And then the Mishnah implies that sheep were around Jerusalem outside all year long. So enjoy the birth of King Jesus as a Christian. You can celebrate his birth anytime, as many times as what you want to. But understand that was only the beginning of the story. He came to die on the cross to pay for your sins. We like the story of the little babe in the manger, but that's not where it ends up. And by the way, had he only come as a babe and not died on the cross, then he wouldn't have been the Savior. He would have provided salvation for nobody. He had to go to that cross in order to provide salvation for us. So having said that about Christmas, what about this man who hated Christmas? What about this man who hated the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who's king? Of course, he is Herod. Herod the Great, he is often called in the history books, the king of the Jews, was born in 73 B.C. He was an Edomite. Now, the Edomites were descendants of Esau, the twin brother of Jacob, out of whom came Israel. So, no doubt related, but he was not a pure Jew, and he could not be, in reality, the king of the Jews. He was appointed by Julius Caesar as governor of Judea, and then Mark Antony in 40 AD, made, or 40 BC, uh, made him the king of Judea. There was a brief three-year civil war. His power was never really challenged after that. Now, this man was a very wicked man. He, uh, historians regard him as effective, but extremely cruel and bloodthirsty, an authoritarian ruler. In a fit of rage, he murdered the wife that he loved. I don't know about you, I wouldn't want anybody loving me like that. That's a strange way to look at love. But uh, he executed his wife in 7 B.C., He had two of his sons killed because he saw them as a threat to his throne. And before Herod's death, a third son was executed for the same reason. Augustus Caesar made this statement. It'd be better off to be Herod's dog than to be one of his children. And you understand why. By the way, when he did die in 4 B.C., We find that he left, the areas were left that he ruled over were divided among his three sons. One was Herod Antipas, some say Herod Antipas, which however you want to pronounce it, or Herod the Tetrarch, who we read about in a number of places in the New Testament. We find that he executed John the Baptist and sent Jesus back to Pilate when the scribes and Pharisees had brought Jesus to Pilate to try to get him condemned. The date of Herod's death is something that presents a problem for some because he died, historians tell us, in 4 
B.C. Now, you understand when it comes to the dating that there was no year zero. There was a 1 B.C., and there was a 1 A.D. or A.D. 1. Now, today, we don't use those terms at all. Today, although the dating system that we have today is still built on the same basic time period, they call it the Common Era, which is what we're in now, the B.C., or B.E., and then you've got the B.C.E. before the Common Era. So, C.E., Common Era, B.C.E., before the Common Era, which was the, yeah. Why did they do that? They didn't like the reference to Jesus. That's why they did that. People have hated Christmas for a long time because of its reference to Jesus Christ. It's not about Santa Claus, not Christmas, not real Christmas. You see, it's about the birth of Christ. That's what it's about. Now, having said all of that, uh, traditionally with him dying in 4 B.C. and he's alive when Jesus was born. What does that tell us? Well, it tells us then that Jesus had to be born before 4 B.C. Our current dating system, by the way, was invented around 560 or 70 um, A.D. All right, so about six centuries later, the current system was brought up. However, it did not become set in usage until the ninth century. So that dating system, he, he miscounted when he went back. He got the dates wrong. Jesus had to be born before the year one. And he had to be born before the year four. So you read some of the commentators and they'll say his birth was probably between five and seven B.C. Now that's not a problem for me. He was born. No matter, no matter what the exact date is on that, he was born. Now Luke goes into a little more detail in Luke chapter two. But you're going to have to go back and do some study of the old documents to find uh, the names of a couple of the people that are mentioned in Luke chapter 2 to get a more exact timing of it. Now, Matthew tells us of his attempt to murder the Lord Jesus Christ. The first way he tried to do it was by getting the, the uh, wise men to come back after they've seen Jesus to come back and tell him about it, supposedly so he could go and worship Jesus too. Well, this man who killed three of his sons, he wasn't wanting to go and worship Jesus. He was wanting to put him to death. You say, how do you know that? Because when the wise men didn't come back, he sent the soldiers down to slay all the children two years of age and under. Because he wanted the baby dead. Now, let me tell you something that tells us. It tells us of God's power. He knows what is going on. It's God who spoke to the wise men through a dream that they should go back another way. They were not to return to Herod. And then also when it came to Joseph, it was an angel that told Joseph to take the mother and child down to Egypt. Now, that's all put together as a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. We don't know how many children he killed. Evidently, it was more than just children in Bethlehem. Bethlehem was not a very big place. Some have suggested that maybe in Bethlehem, 12 to 15 children were killed. 
But it's obvious from the description that's in the passage that it wasn't just children within the city, that he covered the surrounding area of Ramah to put those children to death. His desire was to wipe out the Christ, the Son of God, the one who would be king over all. So he has a very cruel plan, but God is active in all of this. Matthew tells us that this is a fulfillment of Hosea chapter 11 and verse 1. Out of Egypt have I called my son in sending Joseph and Mary and Jesus off to Egypt. And then in Jeremiah 31, 15, he sees Rachel weeping for her children because her children are no more. All that was part of prophecy. As a matter of fact, throughout the book of Matthew... You'll read statements like that it might be fulfilled, that it might be fulfilled, or that the scripture might be fulfilled. And he quotes from a number of Old Testament scripture throughout the book. For you people wanting to do away with the Old Testament, if you do away with your Old Testament, then you've lost your New Testament. The New Testament is full of fulfillments found that were first given in the Old Testament. And if you don't have an Old Testament, then you don't know if that's what he said or not. I've got a 66-book Bible. 66, not just 27. I'm not just a New Testament Christian. I'm a Bible Christian. I believe the whole thing. I'm not afraid of it. I believe it. I keep it. Bible tells us of Simeon. He was in the temple in Luke chapter 2. And when he saw Mary bring Jesus down to the temple, he proclaimed that God had kept him alive till he would see the Christ. And he saw him there and he rejoiced over it. You see, uh, where Simeon was in the temple waiting for the Messiah to come, dreaming about how marvelous it would be to see this one who is the king while Herod would be in his palace dreading the day that the Messiah would come. There's no doubt he knew of him. One of the interesting things about this is that they had the timing of his coming already in the scripture. You've got Daniel 70 weeks in the first 69 uh, from the exile of Judah. Uh, You've got the timing of when the Christ would come. Now, the Magi had the book of Daniel because that's where Daniel had been one one of their chief of the Magi. During his time. So they had the book of Daniel. They had the time down. No doubt the Jews that had been carried off into Babylon. They also had the law. And so they had the sign of the star that would appear. You would think that the Jews would have been looking for the Christ to come. But no, they were too busy with the world and the events of the day. And too many times today, this is all, by the way, introduction. Too many times today, we are so caught up in everything that's going on in the world, we act like the second coming of Jesus isn't all that important, and we've got more important things going on. No, he is coming back. And man, you better be ready. If he comes back and you're lost, all the torment and the trouble that you are going to face if you're without Christ. Fortunately, there's a lot of churches that act like he's not coming back at all. I believe even churches hate him today. Herod hated the thought of the Christ. Why? Because he's not just a babe. He came as a babe. That wasn't the end of it. You're going to read in the next week about churches around Madison, Alabama. Here we are in the buckle of the Bible belt. And we live like a bunch of pagan heathen. 
We treat Christmas as though it's like Kwanzaa, which isn't even a holiday anyway. Something invented by the Seinfeld TV show as a joke. People are going out, they're crazy about presents. That's, that's why every year we've made it a point. We, we've been saved now 50 years. We were in our 20s when we got saved. That's why we make it a point that we're giving a gift to Jesus first of all before we give one to one another. It's his birthday. And we want to make sure he gets glory from it. It's not important whether or not we get presents. It is important that we honor him always in our life. Men are afraid, I believe, that they will lose their power to do what they want. So if they can put him out of their mind, all these office parties and the debauchery that takes place, the wickedness that goes on, and and they say they're celebrating Christmas. No, they're not. They're celebrating paganism and hedonism and debauchery. That's what they're celebrating. They know nothing of Christmas. The truth is, that's one of the reasons why Xmas is how it's referred to most often today. And let me just say that Xmas is for Exians. They don't have a Christ. Exians are people, it's just moss to them. That's all it is. It means nothing. How are you treating this time of year? Now, I... I don't know what's in your heart. I don't know what other people's plans are. But I'll guarantee you in a congregation this size that there are people who are planning not being in the house of God next week. And their excuse is because it's Christmas. Xmas is for Exians. The Lord's day, God's people ought to be in the Lord's house and worshiping him. I've probably said that a few times in the last few weeks. Hopefully it'll sink in. You see, many folks have no more desire to acknowledge Jesus as their king than Herod did. As a matter of fact, he's more of a threat to them. He's more of a threat to the fun that they, the so-called fun, that they want to have. But you need to understand, he is God. He is holy. He is righteous. Now, if you don't understand that, if you don't understand that he's holy and he is righteous, then you don't understand that he is love. You can have no idea of how much he loved us until you understand how wicked of a sinner you are and how much you deserve because he is holy. You deserve his judgment. Whereas we deserve hell, he loved us so much that he put his own son. The only way he could take care of our sin was to take upon himself flesh to die in our place. That would take an awful lot of love, and he did. Well, let me just say a few things about that. That was the introduction. If Jesus is our king, he expects us to submit to him and to his authority. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6 and verse 46, Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? Oh, I believe in the Lord Jesus. The who Jesus? The Lord Jesus. Yeah, why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? You know, really, there are two sides to the Christmas story. The first is the good news of great joy, which shall be to all people. 
that the Redeemer has come, a Savior is born, and His name shall be called Jesus, for He shall save His people from their sins. But there's another side. If we're to celebrate the true meaning of Christmas, then we need to say, because Jesus is the King and He has come, I'm willing to submit to His rule. Now, the very thought of that, having to submit, having to put ourselves under Him. I'm not talking about for salvation. You would think anybody that's been redeemed, that has received His forgiveness and eternal life, would realize that it's only right that you live for Him. Paul would write in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Or as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 19, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and you're not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. He deserves to have us serve Him. By the way, you're going to serve somebody or something. He said, well, I'm me. I'm just going to serve myself. Really? Do you know Jesus? I mean, do you know the Jesus of this book? The Jesus who is the eternal one. The Jesus who is God. Best way to celebrate Christmas is to honor Jesus as your king. You know, in England, they they have what they call royalty. And, of course, until just recently when, when the queen died, uh, over there it was a national holiday to celebrate her birth over there. Now, it was a holiday there. It's never been a holiday here since we became a nation. You understand that? You know why? We weren't under her rule. She may have been a queen, but she wasn't our queen. And King Charles may be a king, but he's not our king. I mean, a few generations ago, we had some people took care of that here. And it amazes me how we've got a news media that wants to, wants to get all wrapped up in the intrigues of royalty. We don't have royalty here. Read the history of this country. We don't have royalty here. As much as the media tries to portray it that way, and so many of our young people are all caught up in Harry and Meghan, and, and man, a bunch of spoiled little brats who have, were literally born with a silver spoon in their mouth, and they just, attention, look at me, look at me, look at me. And I say, let's look at him. And during this time of the year, let's, let's look at him. Let's be reminded again of why he came for us. He deserves that. He should get it by becoming a Christian, by putting your trust In the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You understand, very plain, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In John 1, 12, the Bible says, but as many as received him, to them give he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. 
Why? Because he came. You can only come to the Father through Jesus Christ. I don't care who you are. He said, I'm a Baptist. Yeah, but you don't come to the Father through the Baptist church. You come through Jesus Christ. That's the only way you can come to the Father. It's through Jesus Christ. Nobody comes to the Father without coming through Jesus Christ. You don't come to the Father through religion. You don't come to the Father through a denomination. You don't come to the Father through your works. You can only come through Jesus Christ. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Man, that is so clear. Jesus made it plain. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. If Jesus is our king, then I would think we ought to be loyal to him. You know, it's a funny thing in our wedding ceremonies. We often say this to the bride and groom in their vows, forsaking all others. Keep them only unto yourself. The truth is the most important person in our life ought to be Jesus Christ. We're to be loyal to him above everything else. I don't believe that there's a ball team, whether it be pro, college, Local, whatever. There should never be a ball team that you're more loyal to than you are to Jesus. He ought to have first place in your life. There's no college. There's no political party that ought to be first in your life. It ought to be Jesus Christ. Number one in your life. Preeminence in him alone. Jesus said, if any man... Uh, come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. Number one in your life. You know, there are many other things which compete with the Lord Jesus Christ for our allegiance. But shame on any believer who puts anything before him. That is, in reality, true idolatry. But now, let me leave you with this thought. We talk about his first coming. And yes, the man who hated Jesus, well, that was, and hated Christmas, uh, that was Herod. And no doubt there are a lot of other people in the same boat today for hating him. But I want you to get this. He's coming back. And it won't be as a baby this next time. He's coming back. First, he's coming back to catch his church away. Thank God for that. For the Lord himself shall descend from the heavens with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. What a marvelous promise. But after he gathers his church in, seven years later, he's coming all the way back. And I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19. I want you to get this. This is reality. This is truth. The promise of his coming. And he fulfills all of his promises. Notice beginning in verse 11. 
Scripture says, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire. That's King Jesus. On his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, Lord of Lords. And king of kings, I'm sorry, and king of kings and lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun. And he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that ye may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty. By the way, if your idea of God doesn't include this, you don't know him. If your idea of God doesn't include this, you don't have any idea who God is. You have no idea who Jesus is. Well, I thought he's a God of love. He is. He died for you on the cross of Calvary, so you wouldn't have to go through something like this. You can have eternal life by trusting him as Savior. That's how much he loved you. And anybody that ends up going through this with the judgment and wrath of God upon them, it's because they did not take the Christ as their Savior. And here's how it ends up. Let me skip ahead quickly. Go over to chapter 20, verses 14 and 15. After the thousand-year reign of Christ... We have a picture of the judgment seat of Christ beginning in verse 11, but notice verse 14, And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Skip over to chapter 21, verse 8. But the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters And all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. This baby that was born. Jesus, the Savior, came to go to the cross so you could have eternal life. But you die without him. It is the lake of fire that awaits you. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. Deal with our hearts today, I pray. Oh, dear God, for those that are lost, you offer them salvation. You said, but as many as received him, to them give you power to become the sons of God. They could have it today. All they have to do is by faith take Christ as their Savior. Lord, for Christians today, knowing what you say about Jesus, about the wonderful salvation that you provided for those who believe, our desire ought to be to love you, to be faithful to you, to serve you, to glorify your name. Please, Lord, deal with hearts today. Convict of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment, I pray in Jesus' name.